1: It is 8.09 in the Twin Cities, uh, 49 degrees. Uh, Time now for one of my absolute favorite guests, Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University.
0: How are you, sir? I'm doing very well. How about you this evening?
1: Very well, indeed. Uh, So much, as always, to talk about uh, the election three weeks away from Tuesday, uh, which is just uh, extraordinary. And just with the volume of ads that are inundating our airwaves, I think a lot of people are ready for it to come and be over. Uh, but I do want to ask you about something that we've been talking about this evening. Um, uh, we did have on, I did have on for an extended interview, Dean Phillips uh, in the 7 o'clock hour. Uh, he is, of course, the Democratic nominee for the 3rd Congressional District. And in a couple of weeks, we are going to have an extended interview with his opponent, the incumbent congressman, Republican Eric Paulson, on this very show. I don't have a specific time, but we did have uh, Congressman Paulson call in Uh, really just a a few minutes ago, around 7.35, uh, and he was strongly defending an ad that is running. It is his own ad. Uh, It is uh, criticizing uh, Dean Phillips uh, for his role when Dean Phillips was uh, chair of the Alina Board, uh, Alina Hospitals Board, uh, saying that the board members, including Phillips, uh, ignored a case of, of sexual harassment, Uh, when Alina was sued about 11 years ago. Uh, One of the things that uh, has come up since this ad began airing was that uh, Bill George, who is also a former Alina board member uh, and is the former CEO of Medtronic and is a professor at Harvard Business School, was sharply critical of Eric Paulson for running this ad and for attacking board members saying it was, quote, beyond the pale. Uh, Also criticizing this ad uh, was Lori Peterson, who was the attorney who represented the women who sued Alina. Uh, She said in an email to me and I think to the Associated Press and to some other news outlets uh, that Dean Phillips had nothing to do with this. And she wrote to me, that she felt that Eric Paulson in this ad, which attacks Dean Phillips, that she was using that Paulson was using her clients uh, as props for political gain. Uh, I want to ask you uh, first of all, how unusual is it to have third parties who are fairly prominent in their own rights Come out and sharply criticize a political ad. Like this?
0: rarely do you see that, um, with the exception of, of course, let us say when the media does truth tests. You know, we'll sort of we'll bracket those off to the side. Like you know, Pat Kessler, right. you know, um, has been doing things like that. But bracketing aside the media, you rarely see that because people really don't want to get dragged into partisan battles if they're nonpartisan. And again, it just becomes highly, highly unusual to do something like that. And somebody like Bill George, who really had a stellar reputation at Medtronics, and I know him, and he's when I say he's apolitical, I don't want to say he doesn't care about politics, but but he's very, very nonpartisan. And for him to come out um, is, is pretty significant. And again, also, I think for Lori Peterson, who I happen to know also, for her to come out and say that um, um, that this was an unfair ad yet again um, is, is very unusual. So the, so the the wordy answer is highly unusual to do this.
1: All right. Um- this is this all inside baseball. I mean, somebody like me, you know, can follow this kind of thing. Somebody like you can follow it, but does this have any consequences? Because I agree with you. I think it's very unusual. I mean, I'm just trying to think of of when this has happened. When you've had two prominent people, you know, Bill George saying, "Hey, this taints anybody who was on the Alina board uh, with a broad brush is not caring about this issue, which we do care about," and then to have the attorney for the victims. Uh, come out and, and criticize paulson, I think that's even more damaging uh frankly to mr paulson but but is is this inside baseball uh congressman Paulson was on earlier uh within the past um uh, forty five minutes strongly defending the ad uh and saying you know listen Dean Phillips is saying that hey he was you know on, on the line of board and he's using this as you know part of his credentials uh He's basically doubling down as Congressman Paulson. I mean, does this have any kind of an impact on this race, do you think?
0: Well, I'm going to make two comments here. One is that in a very in what looks like is a race that's still tight, even though the public opinion polls are suggesting that Phillips has a lead in a tight race. you know this 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 could matter to um the the few undecided swing voters who are out there um, where if from a lot of their inf- political information is coming from um, from let's say advertising, you know, then it then it could ma- it could matter, um, and it's probably important at some point for Dean Phillips to respond to it, much in the same way that I thought several well, weeks. He's,
1: well, he's he's denounced it. I mean, he's, he's denounced it. Yeah, he's. I mean, he's he's been very clear on it. Right, I, but he, I sh- but he should but he's, have said I that. But uh, so he's denounced it. I mean, that's fairly common in attack as What's what's different is these other people denouncing it. But
0: right, but still going to your inside baseball issue is unless bill george and peterson were willing to do a commercial to denounce it it does sort of sound like inside baseball and the parallel is getting again what i was trying to get to here and dean phillips has denounced it but a few weeks ago when i can't remember if it was paulson or the republican party um came out with the criticism about phillips and and health insurance at his at his businesses um phillips had to respond I mean, you at some point if you're if you're concerned about moving um, swing voters or or or, respo- or affecting them in some way, you have to do something more than than let's say simply denounce. You probably have to do something in terms of a political ad to respond to them. So so I so I do think this this could matter. Um, I also do think that um, again Phillips and Peterson alone probably isn't enough that would probably have to be incorporated... You mean,
1: you mean in, Bill, Bill George and, Bill, and... I mean, Bill
0: George, I mean, Bill yeah. George I'd say, would have to be sort of worked either into an ad if they were willing to do it or, or something more prominent uh, for, for it to have the impact. Otherwise, I think it is inside baseball. Now, the other thing I was going to say here, too, is that where I think... We need to be thinking about, you know, the ad by Paulson. Also, is in terms of um, yes, that Phillips or Dean Phillips was on the board. But again, I'm speaking as a law professor who teach you know, who teaches among other things, you know, things like procedure, you know, civil procedure, and things like that. Is that you will routinely in suits like this, you will name, let us say, the the, the board of directors as. Um, as respondents um, but oftentimes um, um, you, you do that for procedural purposes so you, so you sue Alina and the board of directors as the legal representatives and a lot of times um, the individual board members a they don't have personal liability and B a lot of times they have no idea what's going on um, de facto you know it's it's yes they're legally responsible but they are perhaps unaware. Um, of, let us say, a certain practice or something like that. And,
1: and that's what Mr. Phillips is saying. Mr. Phillips is saying that he, he didn't know about this. He didn't exactly. remember it at all. Exactly. And, and, and Mr. Paul Congressman Paulson is, is saying, how could he not remember this or whatever? That's what Mr. Phillips is saying. Right. That, we're, we're, that, you're saying that doesn't surprise you at all? Right. From a legal know,
0: point of view, court. I'm going to name the corporation as well as the board members. Um, maybe in some situations I name them um, in their individual capacity. I don't know if this suit was, but simply because you are the respondent, doesn't necessarily mean that you were personally responsible or made any decisions. Um, now, let us say he were being sued because of specific actions that he had undertaken or failed to undertake, was negligent or, or didn't do certain things um, um, in his individual capacity. That's a different story entirely. But here, I think partly where the lawsuit may, or where the Paulson ad may be unfair is the fact that it's saying because he was on the board um, and we named the board um, as the respondent uh, along with Alina, that means that um, that Phillips is personally responsible. That's a pretty significant stretch.
1: All right. And, and as, as you, you, you teach the civil process and – Uh, Anyway, it's going to be interesting to see if that particular ad does have any impact or or the controversy over it. Um, I I do think perhaps it is a little inside baseball, but I I, I don't think this is going away. I think we haven't heard the last of this one. Uh, And it is interesting. Uh, There are two polls that have come out. Both show uh, Paulson uh, trailing – Dean Phillips, and that would be a, a, a big upset yes. if Dean Phillips can, in fact, pull this off because it's pretty unusual to unseat an incumbent, especially an incumbent that has done as well in his re-election bids as Eric Paulson.
0: But you're absolutely correct that it would be pretty unusual, and this would be one of those seats that the Hill, the Cook Political Report, would list as saying significant bellwethers for the Democrats. If they win this one, this bodes exceedingly well for them in terms of their prospects of taking back the House of Representatives. The other thing that I find interesting about Paulson's ad here is that rarely do um, candidates themselves go this negative in the ads. Usually, they want to distance themselves from the attack ads and it's usually third-party groups, the political parties, the DCCC, the RCCC that do it. The fact that Paulson himself um, is actually, in his campaign, are actually doing this ads, um, highly, highly unusual also. Um, and that speaks to the fact that, as you said here, he's trailing in the polls, and it may very well be that the internal polls Paulson are suggesting perhaps right. um, even even a bigger gap, and that's why he's going negative.
1: Right. So and what, what Professor Schultz is saying is that this particular ad that we're talking about is one that's coming from his own campaign. It's not a third-party ad. Right, and that's a- rare. A- and and and. It, to go that deeply negative uh, with this kind of an attack that's been very controversial, you're saying that that is um, unusual, but it's, it's definitely his ad that we're seeing. Or
0: well, that he opens up with him saying, I'm Eric Paulson, I stand behind this." then boom, go into it. Like I said, generally candidates, like, in many cases, they love those negative ads that a third party is doing. But they're not doing them, and that way, if it backfires, they can say, well, you know, I know it's negative, et cetera, et cetera, but I'm not responsible for it. It's a third party, and
1: we don't have no control over them.
0: Exactly, exactly. Here, it's well within his control, and the potential for the backfire on this one, if he can't support those allegations, are far more significant than they are if a third party was doing this ad. Right.
1: okay. Well, listen, um, we have to take a quick break. There is so much to talk about, um, including the attorney general's race, some of the other uh, congressional uh, races. I do want to talk about the 8th Congressional District because I was up there this week. So keep it here, folks. More with David Schultz on News Radio 830 WCCO. It is 826. That was a longer break. T- chatting here with Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. Uh, one of the other dis, and certainly there are so many negative ads out there. The one that, that where I really feel viewers are getting inundated, even in the Twin Cities market, is from the 8th Congressional District. Uh, Joe Rodinovich, uh, while there are some negative ads on the other side, Joe Rodinovich, who was the Democratic nominee, is just getting hammered by these group, these, uh, ads from outside groups. Uh, that race is, is one of the tightest in the country, apparently. Um, the, the only polls that, that have been taken show a, a dead heat. Uh, Mr. Rodinovich is the Democratic nominee. He's running against Pete Stauber, a former police lieutenant. Uh, and currently a county commissioner in St. Louis County. Your thoughts about uh, the negative ads and the volume of them in in that 8th Congressional District?
0: Well, again, the same thing. We're looking, I mean, partly why we're seeing so many ads to start with and so many negative ads is because races like that are so competitive and so close, and because we know, unfortunately, at least I'll say this, that negative ads work. I mean, they actually are effective in terms of moving some percentage of the population both in terms of getting your base hot and bothered to come out and vote, because you depict the other side as, as horrible, but it also it can move undecided swing voters. But this is a race, you know, this is a district that has actually swung back and forth between party control several times. It is a district that Donald Trump won two years ago. Um, it is one that is open. All the criteria that we would think in terms of what would make a competitive congressional seat actually exists with this race. And we know for the last few years that um, incredible amounts of money have been spent there. So the negative ads up there are a, a sign of that, that it's one of those seats that both parties um, view as critical to control of the House of Representatives. But you're right. They are, they are very, very negative we're seeing there. And they are keying in on Radinovich's, um, ranging anywhere from, um, well, I think it's what some like, you know, parking tickets to a whole bunch of different things, and 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 again, we will see how effective they are. But again, this is a a race that is, for all intents and purposes, dead even at this point. And I know when people are asking me, well, what are your predictions? This is one that I say, I just don't know.
1: Right, and and, and certainly uh, the last time around. Uh, It was about 2,000 votes. Uh, In fact, I was actually just looking it up. um, In the last four congressional elections, about to 2010, three of the four uh, have been settled by less than 4,000 votes. Mm -hmm. So this is a squeaker here. And it it really, uh, I I think absolutely it's too close to call. In fact, it was one of the races that came in very, very late, or I should say early in the morning in 2016, showing that Rick Nolan had in fact just squeaked by uh over stuart mills and i think it's one that's going to be that close again and and that's you know you sort of wonder though with all of these negative ads and the fact that these races have been so close up there does does the sheer volume of these ads will it have an impact uh or or could it serve as perhaps suppressing the vote maybe people are just so sick of it all
0: they'll stay home Well, you actually hit at exactly the point that I want to make here. Is what impact did the negative ads actually have? Again, first, there's sort of two goals with the negative ads. One, well, two or three goals. One is to paint a narrative about your opponent, um, or in this case, if you're a third party, about the the, the person you don't like, um, and and that way you force that person have to respond. So first, it's to paint the person to a corner. Second. Um, if you can describe that opponent as somebody being thoroughly horrible, hopefully you're hoping that your base will get excited to say, well, gosh, we can't let this terrible person um, get elected. But third, what we see is that these really negative attack ads do have a vote suppression of approximately, some estimates are between 2 and 5%. I think it's probably closer to about 2 to 3% where you get some voters um, who look at, look at the attack ads on both sides, decide that they really don't want to vote whatsoever. And that, that becomes critical because that voter suppression through this kind of negative attack ads, 2 or 3% can be enough to shift the election from one person to another. So your intuition is absolutely correct. We do see correlations between significant attack ads and some voters, especially those more moderate, centrist, or, or let's say swing voters, opting to stay home on Election Day.
1: All right, we're chatting with Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. We do have to take a break, and we want to give you some weather. When we come back, we'll talk with Professor Schultz about some other key races, including the Attorney General's race. That's coming up on NewsRadio 830 WCCO. It is 837 in the Twin Cities. Uh, Esme Murphy, along with Professor David Schultz, uh, so much to talk about. One of the big races that you've written about on your blog and that uh, we're going to discuss tonight, of course, is the Minnesota Attorney General's race. Uh, This is a hot one. One of the things that's going to happen this week is that Congressman Keith Ellison's divorce file will be unsealed. Uh, he was divorced a number of years ago from his wife of, I think, within 20 years, Kim Ellison. And that's going to be an extraordinary event. And you also had a, an extraordinary development where you had apparently a recording of the Republican candidate, Doug Wardlow, saying that he would immediately fire all the Democrats in the office at the Attorney General's office. Your your thoughts on this, because this is, once again, an extraordinary race with continuing to have extraordinary developments.
0: Well, first let's think about the fact that rarely does an attorney general's race, especially in Minnesota, um, eclipse the the governor's race. And to a large extent, the coverage of the AG's race is far exceeding the governor's race, and the amount of money that's being generated um, in the AG's race is extraordinary compared to what we normally see. So it's unusual. We have, in many ways, Wardlow versus Ellison, Representing two different visions of of national politics, you know, Wardlow effectively a Trump supporter, Ellison's sort of like it on the on the the, the Bernie Sanders on um, Democratic left. So we have that playing out here. We have lots of interesting things, and um, just in terms of what makes that race so fascinating and so close. But one of the things I want to talk about first um, is the statement that Wardlow made that apparently it was at a fundraiser, as you pointed out, that he said that if he were elected attorney general, um, he would what, immediately fire all the Democrats. Now, I know most of the focus... Has been on um, that statement of his in terms of whether or not it's inconsistent with a claim that he made that he said that he wouldn't act political as attorney general, um, and, I'm, and that's a whole he's, different.
1: He said that uh, you know many many times. That's right. Uh, in in his criticism of you know Congressman Ellison, who has sure. said from the beginning and the get go right. that he would use uh, the attorney general's office, if elected, as a sort of a stopgap against policies of the Trump administration.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So juxtaposing, what I did in my blog today is, is to say that whatever, um, however we construe that statement in terms of whether he's politicizing it or not, if he targets anybody in his office on the basis of their partisan affiliation or political views, that violates the First Amendment. And the law is pretty clear on this. And again, I speak as a constitutional law professor that there's a series of five Supreme Court cases that say that you may not fire people, um, except in very small situations of where you've got senior policy people or you have people who are in very confidential relationships. You cannot say, um, I'm hiring you or firing you explicitly because you're a Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative, et cetera, et cetera. That's a First Amendment violation. Now, could he lay off people or or fire people because of, for example, um, um, that, of their, the, of their performance, yes. Could he say that we don't want certain people in our office because of of legal skills, et cetera, et cetera? But he may not target people um, based upon their partisanship. And if that were to happen, we would see um, the attorney general's office suit. And what I talk about in my blog. It's a potentially not unusual circumstance if he were to get or, or actually potentially very interesting circumstance here. If he were to get elected and let us say Tim Walz were to be elected um, as governor, let's say Wardlow fires a bunch of people because they're Democrats. They sue the Attorney General's office. They then also name the state of Minnesota. Um, generally, the Attorney General is supposed to represent the state of Minnesota. Um, what if now the Governor's office says, no, we don't agree? You would get into a major fight that would perhaps involve hiring outside counsel by the Governor to, to sue the Attorney General, costing taxpayers money, plus you would have some significant legal conflict of interest issues. But the core point that I wanted to make here is that it is unconstitutional to target people in the public sector based upon their their political views.
1: Right, and you know there have been accusations certainly uh, against Lori Swanson exactly. about uh, her getting the getting uh, attorneys to do work on her campaigns uh, on. The taxpayers' dime. Right. And and that is problematic and, yeah. and certainly a source of, of extraordinary criticism against her. I think it's something that hurt her, obviously, in her failed bid to run for governor.
0: Yes, they're absolutely correct. Is and I think that was one. You know, I think one of those criticisms came out right before the primary, and I think that that hurt her pretty dramatically. And it's absolutely correct also that that the courts have said that um, that you may not um, expend public dollars or use public resources for partisan political purposes. Now, there's a fine line here. Let us say, for example, an attorney general um, is running for office on saying they're going to sue of companies, you know, um, 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 if if elected. Um, Actually, I'll, I'll back it up and say, what if, let's say, for example, the attorney general is legitimately looking at some type of business on, let's say, insurance or consumer fraud or something like that, and they're doing legal research in terms of how to prosecute this business? That's, that's perfectly okay. Um, it's also perfectly okay for the attorney general to say that um, if reelected, you know, I'm going to go after these kind of businesses. And so sometimes the fine line between political or partisan activity and legitimate legal work, it's hard to sort of draw the line. But if the purpose, if the purpose of, of, of the research that you're doing, of the, of the work that you're being asked to do is for partisan purposes, that, too, is also a violation of the First Amendment. Right.
1: And, and also, you know, it's how do you determine who's a Democrat and who's a Republican? I mean, it's not, you know, in some states, when you register to vote and mm-hmm. you vote, you, you have to declare your party affiliation. Mm-hmm. And and that's not the case here in Minnesota.
0: Correct. That states like New York, where I'm from, um, um, you have to do that. Many other states have that. But also, what I was going to say is again speaking of somebody who's a lawyer and a law professor, and I know lots of people um, who work in government, in the AG's office. Um, for lots of those individuals there, they they really do significantly um, suppress or or keep hidden as much as possible their partisan affiliation, and, and do a pretty good job of bracketing them off. Again, I do training for the judicial branch. I've done training ethics training for the Attorney General's office. And these are conversations that we have in terms of, of, of sort of permissible lines of where you can go and not go, on top of which also there are significant uh, legal ethics issues here that you can face sanctions for for crossing some of these lines.
1: All right. Uh, we do have to take another quick break. Uh, when we come back, I do want to ask you about the the release of, of Keith Ellison's divorce record, something that both he and his ex-wife I uh, did not want released. Uh that is going to happen apparently on Tuesday. Uh want to get your take on that. So keep it here News Radio 830 WCCO. it's 849 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy along with David Schultz for a few more minutes. Uh, later this week or on Tuesday, I believe, uh, Congressman Keith Ellison's divorce file will be unsealed. Uh, this is something that both he and his ex-wife Kim Ellison have opposed. Uh, the media asked for – I think it's Star Tribune uh, and some media outlets uh, sued to get this opened – In the aftermath of Congressman Elson being accused by his former girlfriend of uh, dragging her off a bed and being emotionally and physically abusive, Uh, what do you make of this? I mean is it pretty unusual to have a divorce file unsealed?
0: No, it's actually incredibly unusual to have it sealed. Um, I've, I've, done about I've done about 100 divorces in my life um, for representing clients. I've been only able to get one file sealed in my entire career, and it involved a situation where um, I was representing a client whose husband tried to kill her. Um, I mean, literally, I mean, the the scar tissue was above her heart. And we convinced the judge to say that um, in the interest of of saving her and protecting her life, we want to seal the record. And the judge said yes. And so it's incredibly unusual. And what probably most listeners don't realize is that with the exception of something such as, let's say, social security numbers and a few other things like that, all of your divorce records that you file in court, your financial stuff, it's all filed that's all public information and the reason why it's public information it's under the First Amendment is to make sure that you know, that the public or the press can inspect it to make sure the courts aren't doing anything nefarious or wrong so so it's the whole idea of open courts in the United States. So, A, it's just incredibly unusual to be able to have um, a, a, a sealed record, and therefore it didn't surprise me whatsoever um, that, that the Star Tribune, and I think it was Alpha News, that was going to get it unsealed. Now, having said that, is the is anybody going to find anything? I have no idea. But I can also, again, say, and maybe some of your listeners have gone through a divorce and they know this, that oftentimes there are... Um, there's acrimony, there's anger, there's some um, shouting, you know, all kinds of stuff that goes on. And I suspect someone's going to find something in that file um, that may be, um, whether it's real or misconstrued. And I know part of what Ellison asked for is to say, well, we wanted to keep closed because the information in there may be, may be what misused you know, by, by somebody. That's no reason to keep it to keep it close. So the upshot is we don't know what we're going to find, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's something unflattering, because almost in every divorce...
1: There's something there's, unflattering. There's
0: something unflattering, especially at the end. Again, and some listeners out there may know what I'm referring to, is that you get to the end of a marriage, and people don't always get along. There's shouting, there's fights, et cetera. Et cetera. They're not pretty.
1: Right, and I think that's, well, it remains to be seen, and obviously, um, you know we certainly will be reporting on it because it will be a public record. Um, the comments that Mr. Wardlow made that we were referring to earlier where he was um, made at a very big public gathering, I believe it was a fundraiser for Jason Lewis in which he said he'd fire uh, all the Democrats in the AG's office if elected. Is that something, I mean, we met, talked about Inside Baseball earlier at the top of this hour with this you know, controversial ad that Congressman Paulson's running in the 3rd District. Is that something that's, Inside baseball, I mean, how much are people paying attention? Because there's so much out there uh, yeah. in all these races.
0: Yeah, I think, I think it's going to be also inside baseball because, again, I think we're at a point right now where it's almost like saturation bombing in terms of all the ads that are out there, and that I think sort of sorting through some of these intricacies there, I think, are going to be um, um, very difficult for most people. I think we're probably down now to, what, what three weeks to go? Um, we're, we're down to probably very small percentages of the population um that have not made up their mind in minnesota who they're going to vote for in on a whole bunch of different races and i just think that like the release on tuesday um with um um keith ellison's divorce records again it it made, it could be decisive you know something like that it could be decisive in terms of the fact that there's some undecided voters out there that could move them Wardlow's statement could be but it's hard to figure out at this point where all this information is coming here, you know, you know how for so many people who are just, I think, starting to get a little turned off now by the ads, and I don't know about you, I have people talking to me all the time saying, "Aren't you sick of the ads? Aren't you turned off by them?" You're probably hearing the same thing. Too. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. People, I think, are starting, People are now at the point where they're, they're they're zoning them out. They've heard them, even if they're undecided. I'm not sure if any more information is really going to help them make up their minds they they're they're already digesting what they're hearing and are at a point where they're going to try to figure out what to do
1: i think, I think I think what 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 I'm hearing a lot of is I think people don't quite understand you know it, it's rare to see this volume of ads for congressional races mm-hmm. because if if you live in St. Paul, you're not going to be voting in the 3rd Congressional District or you're certainly not going to be voting in the 8th Congressional District. And I think that's what people are having a hard time with, just being bombarded by all of these ads for races that they won't get a chance to vote on. Because in these congressional races, each congressman represents 700,000 people, but they're saturating the Twin Cities market – uh, for all of these different races, and and that's that's really unusual.
0: It's unusual, and I think it confuses some people because absolutely. I, I, I gave a talk today, and I had some people, you know, who said that well. I'm seeing all these Paulson ads. I thought Betty. This was in St. Paul. I said I thought Betty McCollum was my representative. And, and I she, said, is. <laughs> she, she is. She is. I said I was trying to explain to her exactly this concept. Here is that it is unusual to see, especially in Minnesota, these congressional ads because they're paying to reach millions of more people than their own congressional district. But because there's so much money being poured in, because these races are so competitive, um, that's why you know we're seeing all these ads. I think we did an interview on for, for CCO television a few weeks ago, and I think my line was to you, why are we seeing so many ads when you asked me? I said, because we've turned into Ohio. We've <laughs> turned into a very competitive state, at least, um, for these four congressional races.
1: But that's interesting. an interesting point that you make, that, that people are confused. I mean, yeah. not only they o- oversaturated, but they're actually confused about w- what they'll have a chance to vote on. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, listen, uh, Professor David Schultz, uh, thank you so much for your time. Always a
0: pleasure here and good luck on your show in the morning absolutely all
1: right thank you so much sir yes uh again uh please tune in to the new politics show ten thirty a.m tomorrow morning uh, it'll be pat Kessler and myself going over uh, uh, so many of these topics and so many of these races there is so much going on and we're going to break it down and there'll be probably something new tomorrow morning there's something new just about uh, every morning so please tune in wcco television I'll also be on at 6 a.m as well all right, folks, I do want to thank David Josephson, the producer of this show. A big shout-out to Jonathan Lowe uh, for helping. Uh, we had to switch up our order a little bit and you know, get a different guest in. So thank you so much for that. also want to thank uh, Shaletta Brundage, uh, another one of our producers here. So keep it here, folks. News Radio 830 WCCO.